morning, Journey. Oh, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump right into Scripture. We find ourselves today on Palm Sunday, just a week from Easter, but we're going to fast forward four days into the Holy Week and begin in Matthew chapter 26 at the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, you need to know four minutes ago, five minutes ago, we became one church in two locations for the very first time. They just now started their service five minutes ago. Here's what you need to know. Yesterday, we had an Easter egg hunt in Olathe, 45 minutes from the front door of this church. Nearly 700 people showed up from the Olathe community to come check out what was going on, to be a part of our uh, um, possibly our new church here. So let's just pray for Pastor Brandon and their crew. They just started their service. God, we pray for Pastor Brandon. Lord, we pray for Lord and lead in worship. We pray for the ministry teams who are over there. And God, all the new people will come. Thank you for the first time guests who registered online last night that they would be coming before they'd ever entered the doors of our church. Lord, may you six years from now have done in Olathe what you've done in Lee Summit. Lord, let people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world because of our second campus in Olathe. Bless them today in their ministry in a powerful way. And everyone said today, amen. So we're five days from Easter weekend at Journey. We begin actually Friday night at seven o'clock. We kick off our weekend. And Easter at Journey is for two things. One, Easter is for outreach. We've been saying, this all month long. Don't come alone to our Easter services. People are more likely to accept an invitation to church at Easter than any other time. So figure out which services you're going to come to. Start inviting people that they might meet Jesus and know Jesus like we do on Easter. And Easter is for understanding Jesus. So all month long, we've been going back through the Old Testament, trying to learn about the Lamb of God so we could understand Jesus better. And in Matthew chapter 6, we come to the final night of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. And then we're going to go way back into the Old Testament, and I hope you will learn more about the Lord's Supper that you see here before you today. We've got a table that looks identical to this on the stage in Kansas right now. Pastor Brandon will be preaching through this in just a minute. I hope you, as you leave today, learn more about the Lord's Supper today than you've ever known, and I hope it means something different to your soul. Let's look at it in this night in Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 17. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. You might circle that word reclining if you've got your Bible open and a pen handy. Reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man, it would be better for him if he'd not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Jesus answered, you've said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you 
in my father's kingdom. So all month long, we've been in a series called the lamb. We've been trying to understand Jesus and is important to us by understanding the lambs of the old Testament. The first week we introduced our church to Jesus as the Passover lamb that rescues us from death. If we will sit under his sacrifice the week after that, we introduced you to Jesus as one who can forgive by looking at that daily lamb of sacrifice in the basin and how it played into tabernacle worship. The third week we introduced you to Jesus as one who can connect you to God by tearing the veil when he was crucified and opening up access to God's presence. And this week, I want to introduce you to want to Jesus as one who allows us to live in relationship with God. But once again, in order to understand Jesus in the New Testament, we have to go backwards to the Old Testament. We actually have to this week go to the depths of the Old Testament so we can understand the importance of what Jesus did for us in the New Testament. We have to actually go to, number one, the Old Covenant offerings. If you're taking notes and have pulled out your notes or if you're taking notes on your app, we have to, number one, look at the Old Covenant offerings. And here's the bad news. They're in Leviticus. Leviticus is like the book of the Bible. If the 66 books of the Bible were on Survivor, Leviticus would be the first one voted off by the other 65. It is a really hard book to read, Um, but it's really valuable. It's not exciting, but it's valuable. I read a story years ago about a mom and dad who, when their college son left for college, the only gift they gave their son as he went away to college was a brand new, beautiful study Bible with his name on it. And they told him, whatever happens, just read your Bible every day. It won't always be exciting, but it will always be valuable to it. And he thanked them and thought, yeah, right. And threw it in a drawer and never really picked it up. In the first week of school, he called his mom and dad and said, I can't believe how much textbooks cost. In high school, they just gave us books. And they said, son, just read your Bible. It won't be very exciting, but it'll be valuable. And he thought, you're crazy. A couple of weeks later, he called and said, man, the food in the cafeteria is so bad. I wish I'd worked a little harder to save money so that I could go out to eat every now and then. He said, son, if you'll just read your Bible, I promise you it won't be very exciting. It'll be really valuable. And he thought, yeah, right. Several months later, he called and his friends were traveling on the weekend. And he said, hey, I'd like to go with my friends and travel out of town for the weekend. Um, would you help me? And they said, we can't help you, but God can. If you'll just read your Bible, it won't be very exciting, but it will always be valuable. And he thought, my parents are out of my mind until he started dating a girl. And he called his mom and dad and said, I've met this girl I really like. And they said, you need to read your Bible. We promise you it'll be really valuable. So he picked up his Bible. And as he started leafing through it, he found 10 fresh $100 bills that his mom and dad had placed in the pages of his Bible. They knew what he read wouldn't always be exciting, but it would be valuable if he would read his Bible. That's kind of like the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the fine print of the Bible. All of you have bought something in your life. And when they sent you over the fine print, you looked at it and you thought, yeah, and you just signed it. And I'm convinced that every one of us has signed something that basically says, if our company goes broke, we're just going to take everything you have. And we just basically say, okay, I just, there's just too much fine print. I can't read it. That's Leviticus. Not very exciting. Kind of the fine print that we skip but super, super valuable because we learn in Leviticus chapter one through seven, the offerings of Israel. It's not exciting reading. Um, It actually can make you nauseous if you don't like cutting up and kind of filleting animals open. But as we learn about the offerings of Israel, we learn something about Jesus. We're introduced to five offerings, five sacrifices that the people of Israel could make. There was the sin offering. 
that offered the people forgiveness. They could come when they had done wrong intentionally or unintentionally and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. They could offer the sin offering. They could offer the guilt offering. The guilt offering brought restitution to a situation. So if you, if you send and you cost somebody something, you would bring as a guilt offering the cost that you had cost somebody else plus 20%. God wanted to teach you there is forgiveness, but there are consequences. Like forgiveness doesn't mean you get away free. There are consequences to sin. There was the burnt offering. The burnt offering kind of symbolized full devotion. It was the only Old Testament offering where the entire animal was sacrificed and no one got any of the leftover parts. The burnt offering kind of symbolized to God, I'm all in. You can have all of me. I'm not saving any of me for anything else. God, I'm all in. That was the burnt offering. There was the grain offering that symbolized trust. You would literally take the first part of the first day of your harvest and you would go and sacrifice that to God. And you basically were saying, I'm not counting on my harvest to take care of me. I'm not counting on my bank account to take care of me, not counting on my job or my skills to take care of me. I'm counting on you to take care of me. So the grain offering symbolized trust, but then there was the fellowship offering, the most unknown kind of offering in old Testament Israel. Symbolized time with God. It's also called the peace offering in the Old Testament. It's called the Thanksgiving offering in the Old Testament because it looked like Thanksgiving at your house and at my house. It was an offering that symbolized time with God. And I don't know that any offering in the Old Testament teaches us more about what Jesus does for us at Easter and what Jesus invites us into at Easter than the fellowship offering. I want to read to you about it in Leviticus chapter 7. It'll be on the screen Not real exciting, but really valuable. God said, these are the regulations for the fellowship offering that anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this this thank offering, they're to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in. Sounds delicious. Thin loaves made without yeast, brushed with olive oil, and I'm sure some kind of herbs. Thick loaves made with the finest flour, well kneaded, and with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offering and thanksgiving, they're to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made without yeast. I don't know if you've ever driven by a bakery early in the morning and smelled the fresh bread, but you can imagine what this offering would have smelled like. Verse 14, they're to bring one of each kind of those breads as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who splashes the blood of the fellowship offering against the altar and the meat of their fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten the day it's offered. They shouldn't leave any of it until morning. The fellowship offering that we're taught about here. You know, the fellowship offering was almost always the last offering presented in Israel. If you're a worshiper, the fellowship offering is always the last one you offer. It it may be the one you never really offer. And I believe, just like Israel 3,400 years ago, as we look at how we come to God and how we interact with God, I believe the fellowship offering is the last one that we offer to God if we offer it at all. Because the fellowship offering, when we look at it, is this. After finding forgiveness, after pledging commitment and trust to God, the people of God simply were invited to have a meal with God. Like after all the spiritual stuff kind of got out of the way, God said, let's hang out. That was the fellowship offering. I mean, if we review these offerings, we see why the people of Israel came to God, and we even see why we come to God. Like, why, why are you here today? If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's probably because you count on God for forgiveness. You offer the sin offering. It's probably because you want God to, in some way, release you from the eternal consequences of your sin. You want to you pay restitution if you're here and you're a Christian. So you've offered the guilt offering. 
If you're here, maybe you want to be committed to something bigger than yourself, committed to something that helps a community, committed to something that has eternal significance. And if you, if you think that way, you've offered the burnt offering. If you're here and you're here because you need to learn to trust something bigger than yourselves in the dark times of life, you've offered the grain offering. I mean, even today, we come to God for the same reasons Israel did. Forgiveness, restitution, purpose, trust. That's why we come. But what do we struggle giving to God today, those of us who are in the room? The same thing the people of Israel struggled giving to God, time. We just don't have any time. I mean, we need his forgiveness. We want to pledge our trust. We, you know, we'd like to be committed to something bigger than us, but we're just really, really busy. And the fellowship offering is basically saying this, hey, once we get all the spiritual stuff out of the way, let's hang out. God's saying, let's have a meal together. And it was always the last offering offered by Israel. And I think today it's a lot of times the last offering that you and I are willing to offer to God, the fellowship offering. Why? Because we just don't have time. We just don't have time for God outside of maybe an hour of church on Sunday, but God has time for us. So he says, let's eat, stay a while. Let's eat. Come on in. Let's, let's eat. God says, let's have a big meal together. Did you see the meal? Lots of bread. When my son was in seventh grade, he had to fill out like a little chart at Summit Lakes Middle School that was like a get to know you chart. And one of the questions he had to fill in was, what is something that you love? And his answer was bread. Um, The boy is like, always love bread. When we go to like a restaurant and they give you free bread, he gets his own. And then the rest of the family will have one because he'll literally stab his sister if she takes the bread before he does. He loves bread. There's a lot of bread involved in the fellowship offering. There's thick bread. There's thin bread. There's cracker crust bread. All of it has olive oil on it or in it, probably some of the finest herbs you can imagine on it. All the fresh lamb or maybe beef, if you would offer a cow instead of lamb that you could eat. You'd certainly bring some fruits and some vegetables from your field. It would look like the feast that is behind us. And this meal would be shared by three people. God said the fellowship offering is going to be a meal shared by three groups of people. One is going to be me. And God said, here's what I want. Here's my portion. I get the fat and the kidneys. And everyone's thinking, I didn't want that part anyway. Like, God, you can have all the fat and kidneys you want. I don't, even, I don't even like that part of the meat. So God says, I'll take the fat and the kidneys. I know you probably don't want that one anyway. The priest who was offering it would then take the breast and the right thigh. Pretty good portion, the first portion for the priest. And then the worshiper would get everything else. But here was the key. Their family and their friends could come with them. And they all together could spend time with God, eating everything else in this God sh- in this meal shared between God, the mediator between God and man in this spiritual family. See, the heart of God is to have a meal with you, to spend time with you, not a fast food meal. God doesn't want to hand you your food out the window while you head to your next thing in life. God wants you to sit down and spend some time with him. As a matter of fact, when we read how the Old Testament is set up, all the Old Testament offerings, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, all the Old Testament offerings help people be right with God for the purpose of simply being with God. Like that was the reason that all the offerings were offered so that the people could get to a state where they could be with God. Listen, God doesn't want you to just meet his standards. He wants you to meet him. You say, well, this week I meet all of God's standards. Okay, great. But when did you meet with him? God isn't only concerned with you getting all the rules right. He wants you to have the relationship right as well. As a matter of fact, when you look at the offerings, this is the only offering that has the ability to be extended. You say, what do you mean? More than one day. Leviticus 7.16, as we continue reading, 
says, however, if their offering is a result of a vow or it's a free will offering, the sacrifice can be eaten on the day they offer it, but anything left over can actually be eaten on the next day. This could be a two-day offering. This could be like our Thursday, Friday, American Thanksgiving. God said, you can just kind of get comfortable. You can just kind of take a day off work. You can, you can just relax and spend time with me. And it's interesting because I, I started putting together the final touches on this message about three weeks ago. And that line that I just gave you on your sermon notes was different. Here's what it said. This two-day offering was a result of a worshiper who had time. And only last week did I look at it and I said, no one has time. Literally, no one has time. In this world, no one has extra time. Hey, I spent, I spent time with God every day this week. Why? Nothing else going on. I've never heard anyone say that to me in 20 years of ministry. My devotions were great. Why? I was bored. I had nothing to do. No one has time, but certain people make time. And I thought the fellowship offering is not for people who have time. The fellowship offering is for people who make time. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference between people who clearly have no time, but they make time? Something in their heart must be different towards God. And I thought the time tells us what it is. So I looked at the word time and I thought of the acronym time. And I thought, what is it about the hearts of people who make time for God? And I thought, you know what? Letter T, they're thankful. There's a gratitude in in hearts of people who make time for God. It's because there's got to be this gratitude in their life that that God has been good to them, that God has blessed them, that God is good for them. There's got to be, for people who make time for God, there's got to be this heart of thankfulness, which makes them have a schedule letter I that's intentional. Every person I meet that really spends serious time with God is intentional about it. They don't fall into it. They plan it. It's really one of the first things they do every day. They have this time in their day. They have this place in their day. They have this plan. They have this routine. This week on our Activate podcast, Pastor Brandon said, tell me how you share time with God. So I share my minute-by-minute routine of how I meet with God every day this week on the podcast. It's very intentional. People who spend time with God, I looked at the letter M, and I thought these are people who believe the moments spent with God, they're actually far more important than the moments they spend for God. I mean, they see coming to church on Sunday, really the main reason they're in church is because they want to serve and help others, kind of be catalyzed in their faith, see see some of their friends, they they want to get inspired, but their relationship with God really doesn't exist within the walls of a church. It can be inspired and directed in the walls of a church, but the moments they spend with God are far more important than the moments they spend at church. And then letter E, people who do that, they experience peace with God. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you're, you're going to have peace with me. So what's the difference between people who make time with God and those who don't? Well, they end up with peace with God, but it's because something in a heart of gratitude becomes really intentional and carves out moments to be with God. And what happens to the Old Testament Israelites and to us today who are Christians, the fellowship offering trans, transitions religion into relationship. How? By simply making time to be with God. You see that the fellowship offering moved the people from being right with God to being with God. And I think so often we focus on being right with God that we don't think God cares much about being with God, but he does. He says, hey, stay a while and let's spend some time together. And this is where Jesus steps in. You see, because of Jesus... The old covenant offerings, number two, turn into new covenant opportunities. 
I mean, we go back 3,400 years ago to see the heart of God for being with people, but then we step into Israel 2,000 years ago, and all of a sudden we see the person of God in Jesus being with people, and we see this new covenant opportunity pop up, and look how much it looks like the old covenant fellowship offering. The old covenant fellowship offering, it's a meal between God and the mediator between God and man, the priest, and spiritual community, spiritual family. It's a meal between God, the mediator between God and man, the priest, and spiritual community, spiritual family. What had been symbolically going on for 1,400 years actually became a reality at the Last Supper. Do you see it? I mean, symbolically, every year at the Passover, this would happen. Symbolically, any day of the week you wanted to offer a fellowship offering, you could. Symbolically, this had been happening, but now this symbol would become a reality. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is a meal representing the celebration of a sacrifice between God, between the mediator, between God and man, Jesus, and between and among his spiritual family. Can you imagine being at this meal? Like, can you imagine having dinner with God? How much would it change your life to have dinner with God? Could you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what you'd wear? Can you imagine what questions you ask? Can you imagine what you'd say? A few months ago, I read an article about um, who Americans would want to have a meal with. If they could choose any three historical figures from all time, who would they choose? And it was interesting who, who Americans would want to have a meal with if they could choose to have a meal with any three historical figures of all time. Can you like think of your hit list real quick in the top of your head? A lot of them mention kind of American heroes, presidents like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. A lot of them mentioned innovators like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, like to pick their brains for a little while. Some of them mention activists or reformers like Martin Luther King Jr. or Rosa Parks, their favorite athlete, maybe their favorite actor, but almost all of them chose Jesus. Like if they could have a meal with any three people from all of history, almost everyone chose one of the people to be Jesus. Here's where that turns into not so much of a stretch and more of an invitation. Jesus says through the fellowship offering and through the Lord's Supper this. Let's change the question around. Jesus says, I am going to come to your house for dinner this week. And you can choose any three people in your life who you think need me to come have dinner with us. Who would you choose? Jesus says, I'm going to come to, you. I'm going to, come to your house for dinner this week. I promise you I'll show up. I won't be a no-show. You can invite any three people in your world, any three people from your work, any three people from your family, any three of your friends, any of your neighbors. I'm going to come to your house for dinner and you can invite any three people who need me who you think need something from me. People who need to ask me a question that they've always had. People who need me to give them a hug and tell them it's going to be all right what they're going. You can invite any three people. Who would you invite? Because that is the opportunity of Easter. And if we blow it, it would be like having Jesus over for dinner and not even telling any of our friends or neighbors that he was coming and that they were invited. That is the ministry and the message of the fellowship offering. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, actually commands us to invite people, not to church, but into his meal with humanity. Jesus commands us to invite people into his meal with humanity, those near him, those far from him. Jesus talked often about this banquet at the end times, this heavenly, eternal banquet, this feast with God and the mediator between God and man and the people of God. It was the fellowship offering 
times a thousand in eternity. It had been happening for thousands of years. It would happen on one night in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But Jesus said anyone is welcome to this meal. He often taught about the great banquet at the end of time. He spoke about it so often that one day he was talking about it at a meal and someone who heard him talk about it said this in Luke chapter 14 when one of those at the table with him heard him talking about it. He said to Jesus, blessed, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Like blessed is the one who will be a part of that eternal fellowship offering. And Jesus replied and he told him a story. He said a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests at the time of the banquet. He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, Jesus taught often through his ministry that the table of the Lord's Supper, the feast of the fellowship offering, the heavenly banquet table only gets filled through diligent and passionate invitations. Did you see what Jesus taught his disciples? People don't have time to come to this. They've got, they've got so much stuff in their life, so many possessions that they enjoy they don't have time to come. They've got so much work going on. They've got to work their oxen. They've got to plow their fields. People are so busy with work, they're not going to come. They're so busy engaged in relationships with others outside of me, they're not going to come. Listen, people don't have time. People won't make time. So you have to compel them. You have to beg them. You have to be earnest about this. This word compel in the Greek is an earnest persuasion about something that's important to you. Compelling someone to come in is not leaving a card with your server tucked in the bill that you signed. That great invitation. I'm glad we can blanket our community that way. An earnest invitation is this, calling someone and saying, listen, this is really, really important to me. And I know you don't have time. I know you're busy. I know you've got family. I, I know you've got all your stuff, but I want you to know this is really, really important to me. And would you come to this banquet with me? Would you come to this meal with you? Would you make time for this because it's important to me? That's what compel means. It's a conversation based on something really important to you that you'd like them to experience. I promise you, if Jesus was coming to your house for dinner this week, you would not just send a few texts and say, anybody interested? You would compel people. You'd get on the phone. You would make some changes to your schedule. But that is the opportunity of Easter. And really the message of the Old Testament offerings and the New Covenant offerings, it's the same. 3,400 years worth of invitation. Here's the invitation. God is in pursuit of relationships with people. But he needs messengers to take that truth to people. Here's the simple truth. From Leviticus to today, God is in pursuit of relationships with people. But he needs messengers to take that truth to people and to invite people in. So Jesus did that. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he had a meal. Can you picture it? We often picture the meal of Jesus and his disciples through the lens of da Vinci's painting of all the disciples sitting at the table. It wasn't that. Remember what we read? Jesus and his disciples would have been reclining at the table. They didn't have chairs that they sat in in ancient Israel. 
They would have pillows that their left arm was on as they laid at the table. Can you see, can you see Jesus and his disciples? The table would have just been kind of shoulder high. We know the apostle John was seated right here, right in front of Jesus. They would have been reclining. Say, how do you know John was there? Because we learn in the other gospels that when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, Peter, who was sitting across the table, motioned to John and said, ask him who it is. And John leaned back and said, who is it? So John's right here. The apostle Peter's right there. And Jesus whispers in John's ears. He's got some real thin pita bread type stuff. Remember, no leaven in the bread of the Passover supper. And Jesus would have told John, I'm going to dip my bread in the hummus bowl at the same time the person who's going to betray me dips his hand and as he reached in Judas who would have been sitting right there reached in took his hand as well and dipped in and John said it's him and Jesus said yeah and Judas said it's me and Jesus said yeah you can go do what you want Judas left Jesus later on in supper takes the bread and he breaks it and he passes it around the table he said I want you to eat this but I want you to realize this is my flesh broken for you then he takes the wine This is grape juice, I think. It's grape juice. If not, my sermon at 11.15 will be better than my sermon. It's grape juice. I had some people confront me already after the eight. So all the Baptists, calm down. We're okay. It's grape juice. He took the cup after supper. By the way, the Passover meal, four cups, right? Four cups celebrating four stages of our faith with Jesus. He would have taken the last cup, which symbolized redemption, forgiveness, freedom. And he would have said this one now reclining at the table. Hey, when's the last time you had so much time for Jesus that you just got off your feet and relaxed? Like even people I know who meet with God are in such a rush to do it. Some of them set an alarm so they can hurry up and leave for work. You see, time with Jesus is this relaxing meal, this fellowship offering. Why? Because God is in pursuit of a relationship with you. He just needs someone to take that message to people. Jesus did on the night he was betrayed. Jesus both invites us into this relationship with God and Jesus compels us to invite others. Remember, this whole series has been about Jesus. So as we look at Jesus as the Lamb of God, let's go back through the fellowship offering and see Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice of the fellowship offering that brings God in humanity. But he's not only the sacrifice, he's the mediator. He's the great high priest that shares in the peace and the fellowship between God and humanity. It was Jesus who had time to step out of heaven and come to earth for 33 years so that we could now have spiritual time on earth to connect with a heavenly father now and one day in eternity. And it's Jesus who doesn't just allow us, but he implores us, bring others. Hey, there's still open seats and people aren't going to come. They're too busy. Unless you really help them understand how important it is to you, compel them to come in. So today, we're going to sit down at the Lord's table together. Today as a church, we're going to take communion together. As we enter this Passion Week, this Holy Week, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. And together today, we will take the Lord's Supper. And then after we take the Lord's Supper, we'll worship. Some of you are thinking, why do we only do three songs instead of four today? Because we're going to do the fourth after we get done having communion. We're just going to end in a moment of worship as we head into the Passion Week. But as our ushers pass the elements in just a moment, I want you to consider one of three things or maybe all three. You say, what should I think about? As Jesus invites me into this meal of the Last Supper, as we get ready to focus on the body and blood of Christ, what should I be thinking? In just a minute, they're going to pass it. 
Our musicians are just going to kind of pro, kind of play, and I'm hoping in that moment you'll just have some quiet time with God. Here's what I want you to focus on. Number one, if you look back at this week or this month, it's March 25th, and you've not spent 10 or 15 minutes with Jesus outside of this church building, you need to repent. The word repent means change. That's all it means, change. You need to realize that is not why you've been, you've not just been invited into a relationship with God to be right with God. You've been invited into a relationship with God to be with God. And as you reflect on that, you don't need to feel bad, but you need to realize you're broken and you need Jesus. You need to think, I've got to change. I need to spend time with a God who wants to spend time with me. And I want you just to ask God, God, forgive me for being so busy that I have time to ask for forgiveness every time I need it. And I have time to ask that I don't have to pay the eternal consequences. And I have time to be committed to something that's bigger than me. And I have time to trust, but I never have time to just get off my feet and spend time with you. Forgive me. I want to change. If that's not you, maybe you can focus on or along with focusing on that, you can think about those two or three people. Who popped into your mind? Jesus is coming to your house for dinner this week. And he said, you can invite any three people that need him. You know, I thought about this week as I answered that question on our podcast. We have some people in our church who are desperately hurting. They believe in Jesus. It would be good for them to see him and have a hug from him to know, I got you. I thought about them. I've got some people in my life who don't know Jesus. And I thought I would invite one of them because if they could talk to Jesus personally, then I know he could help them. And then I just think about people who are just this close to being on mission with Jesus. They've got a little bit of them, but not a lot of them. And I think, man, if they could ever meet him, they'd go tell the whole world. Who would you invite? Who can you invite this Easter weekend to come have a meal with Jesus? And maybe you're new to town. Maybe you say, I don't know anyone who's not a Christian. I'm really walking with God. Here's what you can do. You can pray for the people who will be in our church this weekend, next weekend. You can pray for those who don't know Jesus. And as we invite them to the table, you can pray that God's grace moves on their heart and calls them into relationship with himself. And that they respond. That they respond and they begin to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me before our ushers pass our communion?